0: And Welcome to the three-year anniversary episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, and today we brought on no other, none other than the most recurring guest to star on Magic with Zuby and that is Alec the Dirtle, none other than the great Alec, who has appeared on the podcast now. I think this is the seventh or eighth time he's been on here. But anyways, before we begin, let's get some announcements out of the way magic with zuby can be found on the following on itunes google play stitcher and TuneIn radio and you can find me on youtube if you just search for magic with zuby. and you can also find magic with zuby on facebook.com slash magic with on twitter at magic on instagram at magic underscore with underscore zuby and you may email me with any questions you may have at mtgzubi at gmail.com should you want to support the show you can go to patreon.com slash magic and check out all the awesome rewards that are there right now if you want to help support the show. We are now entering three years of this crazy show and what better way than to show your support at patreon.com slash We are also affiliated with inkedgaming.com. You can go look at the link in the show notes to see my artist page. And if you use coupon code ZUBY10, you can save, I think it's what, 10% off any purchase at inkgaming.com. And I have one other ad, and then we will get on to the show with Alex. Well, hey there, Zoe. Why the long face there, chum?
1: I just want to order some magic cards, but the shipping was too expensive
0: too expensive? Well, did you know if you go to LegitMTG.com you can order any magic cards and anything over $2 or more has free shipping?
1: Wow, free shipping's at LegitMTG.com That's amazing!
0: You heard that right, Zoe. Free shipping at LegitMTG.com with any order over $2 or more. Be sure to visit today and get the best deal on magic singles and magic sealed product available. Wow, that's amazing! Okay, and we are here with Alec. I think you are the longest uh, recurring guest. Lord, I hope. I think you are. I hope so. (laughs) I think you are. I before the before the show, um, I think I counted six episodes prior to this one that you've been on. So this will be lucky number seven. Sweet, I'll take it. You know it. This is gonna be the three-year anniversary show too, cause why not? <laughs>
2: it's only appropriate, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, man. So, how's it going?
2: It's going all right. It's been a it's been a long time since I've gotten to to talk with you about magic or anything in general, but uh, things are going pretty good. It's uh, I've had a I've had a rough road of magic. I'll say that.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, do explain a little bit more.
2: Well, Magic just has not been my best friend as of late. Uh, I really struggled with Standard for a long time, just like, what's the point of playing... I think that even the last time I was on the show, I was like, what's the point of playing Standard? I it's still so feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I quit Standard for a while, and then when Ravnica started, I came back to Standard and I played for a little bit, and then I kind of fell off the train again. But now I kind of want to play again because my favorite guilds are back in in this, in this new set, so I feel like I have this obligation to play Standard again, but I've been really enjoying Modern, and I've been really enjoying Arena, so I just have zero desire to play Paper Standard, but I kind of feel I obligated blame, to.
0: I don't blame you, because, <laughs> dude, even right now I'm having a hard time playing Arena. Since Ravnica Allegiance came out, I've been, my Standard play has dramatically decreased, because... Really? All I'm going up against in arena is either some stupid gate deck or Bant Nexus and I want to <laughs> yeah. I basically want to shoot myself in the face.
2: Oops. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. It's um it's rather uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> Dude, it's so painful. It's like Wilderness Reclamation is such an awesome EDH card, but it also happens to be so busted with Nexus of Fate in the format as well too. Jeez, it's so disgusting. It's such a disgusting card.
2: I I wonder if this is something that, um, you know, I haven't seen has there has, has there there hasn't been a major tournament yet, right? Well, th-
0: this weekend, uh, okay. as of recording, we're recording this on January twenty seventh, and there was a SCG tournament, and even though there was a lot of Bant Nexus in play, I don't think a single Bant Nexus deck made the top thirty two. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's. We're still not gonna face it out there, you know.
2: No, it, it's gonna be there, and it might not be the backbreaker that it is in arena. I don't know why it is so prevalent in arena. I guess just everybody really likes playing it for some stupid reason. I yeah. I personally am still loving mono reds. So oh, just me. dude! Um,
0: <laughs> at first I was trying to do Rakdos like aggro but now I'm just straight mono red freaking light up the stage is it's (laughs) such a dumb card oh my god (laughs)
2: it makes me very happy (laughs) oh oh,
0: I love playing it man it's such a good card
2: it, it makes me very, very happy. It, Mono Red in general just makes me very happy. I realized recently just how much I enjoy casting burn spells. For the longest time, I was... And I got Alec the Dirtle because I was a, a dirtly deck player. You know, I yeah. play these terrible control decks that literally did nothing for an entire game. Yup. But now I've just really found the joy of Lightning bolt. You know, like
0: there's... Oh, dude.
2: There's something so satisfying about just deal three damage for one <laughs> like.
0: yeah I know and now there's so many lightning bolts in standard right now or lightning strikes and light up the stage is such a disgusting card it's a basically a one red mana draw two cards oh yeah it's so, oh my god it's so ridiculous that they printed that And I'm surprised that that didn't see the top eight basically what saw the top eight this past weekend was mid range a lot of saltai and some esper And um, some Azorius aggro.
2: I guess that really doesn't surprise me all that much because, I mean, Simic looked so strong coming into into standard in general. So I knew a lot of people were going to want to be brewing with the Simic colors. Where that was going to fall kind of just depended on what was strong in the meta. But seeing a lot of ban does not surprise me in the elite seeing a lot of salt really doesn't surprise me at all either <laughs> and that,
0: that hydroid crisis is ridiculous as well yeah yeah oh my god that card's so disgusting
2: <laughs> I'm kind of I haven't looked at the results from the uh from the SH, uh, scG were there the band decks that made it were they control decks were they Teferi decks or
0: um no they were more mid-range decks I can actually try to pull it up right here because they just now that, posted the list
2: that does surprise me because honestly I thought with the printing of this set like we were going to see a lot more like Teferi control like oh, blue white Te-
0: Teferi's still there like in the Bant mid range deck they got second place Um, there were two Teferi in the main board but okay. like the creatures they were playing was four Angel of Grace okay. uh, four Frilled Mystic which is the um the counter spell Yep, uh, growth chamber guardian which I'm really surprised Ooh. to see that oh that's um, interesting <laughs> it's yeah it's not that it's a bad card it's just I I wasn't expecting to see that card you know what I mean
2: yeah it's a little spicy I like it
0: and I mean I guess it is good because you can search your library for a card named Grow Chamber Guardian reveal it put it into your hand so I mean it's not that bad and then Shalai Voice of Plenty which is the Hexproof okay. Angel yeah and then um, that then is his, a really good yeah. card <laughs> it, it's surprisingly underused as well, too, especially um if you're going to be going up against Mono Red. And and that's the thing I'm seeing a lot of, too, that, you know, how many times have they told us in the past where life doesn't really matter in Magic the Gathering? And now mm-hmm. it's weird that we're seeing so much life gain cards and life gain kind of does matter in a sense.
2: I think it's just the fact that the game has kind of changed a little bit. Like for yeah. for a while there those control decks could, like, a lot of control decks could use their life total as a resource, Mm -hmm. because they had so many ways of regaining control of the game. Now, like, control decks have been, um, I'll use the phrase, nerfed so hard by Wizards, because, like, you know, we don't get four mana white sweepers anymore. You know, we don't get... Well,
0: we just got one printed. Well, Uh, I guess, but... (laughs) I mean, it's not exactly it's two white mana, two black but right but so, so but with, see, with this that's mana really base restrictive yeah.
2: we don't we don't get day of judgment anymore nope. you know or or uh, wrath of god wrath of god yeah um you know we don't get these really powerful four mana so it, we if we do they're way more restrictive on the mana cost yeah um so i just like it, it feels like wizards has wanted to go back to like the the meta of more creatures turn sideways or more burn You know like it just it feels like they're pushing in that direction Mm -hmm. to me anyway and I don't know it feels like control players have been left high and dry for a little while now
0: well we just got Jeskai control from the last standard season which was really really good but that was mainly due to Teferi I mean Niv Mesut played a huge role in that deck but if it wasn't for Teferi I don't think it would have seen as much play in it um but Teferi is probably the only reason right now that control is so good. I mean, we still have a lot of really good control cards, but Teferi is just that end-all be-all right now.
2: Well, to, it's because it's a win condition on its own. Yeah, I mean, you literally don't have to play anything else in the deck. You can win just through the pure aggravation of playing against Teferi.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's a three-mana Planeswalker. That's what it is, yeah. short and simple. And um, I even play two copies of it in my blue-white control deck in Modern. Ooh. yeah talk, talk about a freaking degenerate deck that is playing that in modern it's oh my god so that's been my new pet deck in modern instead of yeah. doing Grixis I've been doing blue white oh my god man so I love that deck but there have been times I've actually felt a little bad because I'll get a Jace out and they can't pretty much as soon as Mind Sculptor comes out and they don't do anything about it, I'm like, I don't need to brainstorm right now, so I'm just going to continue fate-sealing them and counter everything they have to do until I ultimate Jace and then they just cry?
2: <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's always been the beauty of Jace, right? Like, yeah. Like, I mean, you brainstorm until you don't need to anymore and then you just fate-seal them out of the game. I mean, that's uh, that was always the beauty of Jace the Mind Sculptor. And I'm oh, yeah. glad he's, like, we haven't talked really since those unbannings happened and all of that but i'm so i'm actually kind of glad that jace is back to be honest
0: oh yeah i mean he's I so i like seeing him he's so easily dealt with too yeah. um i mean cuz most of the time playing that deck is unless you're extremely sure of yourself you don't really normally want to play jace on turn 4 um you want to make sure you always have an upper hand but it le- unless you know You know, hey, you either got another copy of Jace in your hand, or you've got a whole bunch of removal or counters or anything like that. Most of the time, you're gonna want to wait and hold back. Oh yeah, and that's the thing that I love with Blue White. There's so many outs to the deck. I mean, Mm. it's so many times I've gotten down to like one life, and I'm just like, "Uh, I'm not dead yet. I'm gonna kill you, (laughs) and watch the watch them their soul drain from their eyes.
2: Uh, meanwhile, I'm over here just counting storm.
0: <laughs> so, oh, is that, what, is that what you're playing?
2: I've been obsessed with uh, with blue red storm, the gift storm.
0: Oh, uh, with modern storm.
2: Yeah, the the list that Caleb Scherer is the yeah. the master of. God, that deck is so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> I the, really we've had that a deck.
0: few people playing storm at modern nights too, and blue white. I have like a really good win rate against that deck with blue white. Mm. Because it's just as long as I counter their gifts ungiven or the um, with the the flashback one, or it gives everything. Uh, fl- pass in flames. Yeah, pass yeah. in flames. Then it's sort of like mm, you can't do anything now. And then rest in peace in Graft Digger's cage on games two and three.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I mean I'm not like I don't think that Storm is one of the best decks. But I, it's, it's a, a fun. really, it's, it's fun. a fun deck, and I do think it's a really good deck. There are definitely. Mo- um, Metas where Storm is very, very powerful. Oh, yeah. And you can spike a tournament with Storm if you get kind of lucky on your matchups going. Um, But what's great about Storm is that it's still like a tier two, tier one ish deck that is cheap. So, like, (laughs) it actually
0: is pretty cheap, yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I bought it in paper, almost fully foiled, for less than
0: $500. Yeah, and you don't really need the scalding turns either. I mean, they mm-hmm. definitely help, but you can I get away... What? No, I play Fetchless. Uh, and oh, Fetchless.
2: Yeah, and that's what uh, Caleb has been... He uh, he has a blog where he... Like, this is all that this guy plays, basically, a Yeah. Store. Um, And so he has a blog where, I mean, he makes changes all the time to that list... But lately, he's been on a kick. I haven't actually looked at the blog in the past week or so. Um, But up until pretty recently, he was on a kick of Fetchless. uh, That's interesting. And it's just because you don't really need it. I mean, because it was really there just to filter your deck a little bit. Yeah. Um, But with the pieces that we have right now in Storm, you don't really need that filtering because you've got so much it's it's almost impossible not to hit your combo, it feels like. Huh. Um I'll have to look it might up that take list. an extra turn or two, but it, it's the even the fetchless the fetchless one is is still just as powerful, it feels like.
0: I'll have to look that up. I may build a fetchless one because that's what's been kinda of stopping me from building another modern deck.
2: Yeah. Hey, I mean if you could do it without the scalding tarns, like the most expensive card in that deck after the scalding tarns, I think, is um oh,
0: shoot. Was it Pass and Flames or Gifts on Game?
2: No, actually, surprisingly, both of those are are decently low-priced. I think it's actually Remand.
0: Oh, yeah. I I don't even... I have two copies of Remand. I don't even play them. I don't play them in blue-white right now.
2: Yeah. I think Remand would be the most expensive card in the deck, to be honest. That's not bad. No, it's it's it's. A, I'll will send you over a list even uh, that you can look at. But it's it's a cheap deck to build and it's still
0: very good. <laughs> awesome. Now I have now my legacy scene locally has died pretty much. But my yeah. God, I always hated go going up against a legacy storm. I, <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know how many times I'd be up against someone and they turn one kill me. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that's Legacy, man. Legacy combo decks. Oh, the, my the, God. The turn one kill. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Have you ever thought about doing Legacy Storm? I mean, I know I that's have... really expensive, but...
2: Yeah, I have, and then I look at the price of Lion's Eye Diamond, and I throw up. <laughs> and that's the...
0: <laughs> Yeah, that probably... I don't even know how much that is now. It's probably...
2: Oh, gosh, like... It's a few hundred
0: dollars a piece. I can't remember exactly. Oh shit! That's over two hundred bucks. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. damn. And I have one too. I found. I was going it's through you. some. I was going through some old cards and didn't even realize I had one.
2: Ooh, that's a nice yeah. surprise.
0: <laughs> yeah, I found. I found Lion's Eye Diamond and Helm of Obedience.
2: Damn, son.
0: Yeah, Helm of Obedience is running. Oh, it's about forty bucks. That's not too bad. Yeah. That's just great. It's that's what I love doing. Sometimes going through old cards, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't even realize I had you know this $200 card just sitting in there." I mean, it's not in very good condition, but it's
2: <laughs> it's still something that can sit pretty in your binder. That's for sure. Yeah. For <laughs> if you're sure, like, man. "Hey, look, I have a lion side diamond."
0: <laughs> so what else have you been up to, man? It's you, I, you're still doing the team ponage?
2: Yeah, still doing that. Still doing that. Um, and I've started a. Uh, Beyond that, I've been uh, writing articles now for a, a website called Geeky Torch. Yes, I've seen um, that. Which uh, which is a lot of fun. I haven't had a chance to write in a long time, so it's uh, it's nice to get my uh, claws back into the writing game. Um, I feel like I've been out of it for way too long, so being able to yeah. write a little bit has been fun. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I haven't. I, I was streaming for a little while, and I haven't been able to do that much as of late. Uh, and I've been trying to get my YouTube channel back up off the ground, but that's it's hard to find the time to
0: do that oh, consistently. Yeah. Dude, I completely <laughs> understand. Like, I I've been I've been trying so hard to get back into streaming, and it's I I love playing games, right? I love playing video games, and you know, I get in my moments and ruts where I'm like, all right, I fucking hate all video games <laughs> and all that shit. You know what I mean? Or it's like oh, yeah. nothing satisfies you, and then. Try to add streaming on top of that, and you're like, oh, great, now I gotta be, you know, entertaining for you people. No, no, I mean, like, my podcast's enough, right? I'm entertaining enough, kind of, sort of, but.
2: <laughs> well, you, hey, you've gone on for three years. This is a three year anniversary, so I'd say you,
0: you're yeah. doing all right.
2: You're doing all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. Um, But no, I mean, yeah, I just have such a bad relationship with streaming, and I'm just so. I mean, I'd love to be able to, hey, you know, make it big streaming and all that stuff. But then I realized, oh, the people who kind of do make it big streaming, that's all they kind of do for the oh, most yeah. part. I'm like, yeah, I, I wouldn't enjoy that at all.
2: No, and, and you know, when I was actually trying to do it, like I set a schedule for myself. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be consistent and I'm going to do it. And then after about two or three months, I was like this is awful. Like I'm, I'm having zero fun doing this. Yeah. And at that point I had to ask like, is this even worth it? Like, should I keep trying to stream? Like I have way more fun making YouTube videos. Well, there you go. Maybe I should just be doing that instead. You know, it's so it's, uh, everybody's kind of got to decide like, I mean, if you really want to try to do it, you got to invest wholeheartedly in it. And if there's even a hint that streaming isn't for you, back out right then and there, because it's just not worth it.
0: I mean, and that's sort of, I don't know if you saw my article I wrote um, was it last week or something about content creation? No,
2: I didn't see this. Where was this at?
0: um, You can look on my Twitter profile. I have it pinned at the top there. Okay. And um, it just really goes into sort of similar with streaming. It's just sort of like going into you know, the other side of content creation that no one really talks about. You know, mm-hmm. the the talking to the void where you feel like no matter what you do or say, it's like no one's listening to you or um, no one's seeing your content or reading it or what have you. And it it can be, it can really fuck with your head, you know? Oh, yeah. Where no. it's, you know, and some of the things I mentioned was. You know, the GPs I've been to, you know, where I've met fans and listeners and all that stuff, that was super cool. You're on that high, and then the next day when you're back in your normal life, you're, like, completely low. And you're like, oh, great, now it feels like no one's listening to me again. And it and you probably understand this. It can really fuck with your head where you get, like, no feedback at all. Oh, totally. And you don't want to feel like a person who's begging for feedback, right? You know, and it's... It's just... It sucks. Because... I just had an episode where I talked about this and I know what I would have to do to not really quote unquote make it just sort of, I'd have to invest so much time oh, and yeah. more time than I'm already spending. Right. Right. And it's similar to streaming. Like we just talked about.
2: Well, and, and stre- like I think a lot of people, you know, streaming is just content creation. Yeah. Like there's, there's really like a podcaster, a YouTuber a streamer like these are all sides of the same coin you know so Mm -hmm. like it's it's like anything if you're gonna if you really want it to happen all it takes is the investment of time I honestly do truly believe that anyone can do it as long as they're willing to invest the time and energy it takes to do it and you know it shows in the finished product it really does show when somebody doesn't have their heart in it like oh yeah the product is just not as good as somebody who really does invest in it. But I'm with you. I mean, if if it if it seems at all like you're not invested, it's it's better just to find something you are willing to invest yourself into. But um, yeah, the talking into the void is the part that really gets to me sometimes. Like just yeah, just just feeling that all you know, I'm I am pouring my heart and soul into what I'm creating. And like nobody cares. I know well, there are people that care. Yeah. But like.
0: <laughs> no. And it's it's something because, you know, we start this kind of journey of because we want to share our passions right. with people out there. You know, it if we didn't want people to see it, then why would we put it out there? Exactly. You know what exactly. I mean? And it's you have to sort of like you said, you have to ask yourself how much is this worth doing sometimes because, you know, could you be doing something else that's maybe better or just not doing anything, you know?
2: (laughs) Right. I think if you have the drive to content create, the beautiful thing about today's world is that there is so many different avenues. Like, yeah, if you want to write like you can you can do that very easily there's oh, always yeah. somebody that's going to take your articles you know if you want to create a podcast well that's super easy to to do start up. Uh, if you want to start a youtube channel that, that's super easy if you want to stream that's super easy to start up you know like you can start anything in today's day and age with with little to no cost even on a lot of them um, but so like if you really have the heart to content create just find your niche like that's like just yeah find your niche like it's yeah that's that's the only advice I really ever give people is really really figure out what platform you want to be on
0: and then go from there yeah, and then also try to figure out some of the goals you want to attain as yes well as you know, yeah. I mean, not like, hey, I'm going to make it and, you know, be rich off this stuff cuz let's be honest. If I wanted to get rich content creation, I wouldn't be doing magic right now.
2: Well, you wouldn't <laughs> be doing content creation. Let's yeah. be perfectly honest. Yeah. That's nobody true. nobody gets rich doing this. Like well, there are
0: some, people, yeah, there's some, but okay, extremely yeah, if, lucky.
2: If your name is Ninja, sure. <laughs> I mean like but uh it's 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 the very few that get rich off doing this. It's there are ways that you can make it your career where you will make a decent living, you will be comfortable and you will be happy doing it. But I don't think anybody's goal should be to, you know, live the sweet life on <laughs> on content creation.
0: Would you if you could make it big doing streaming, would you want to? Do you think you'd want to <sighs> do that Honest- for a living?
2: Honestly, I don't think I would want to stream for a living. I I, I really don't like they I've tried it I've been there I've done it and and I can I can do it but it's something about having to be on that much yeah like if I had to choose I would choose my writing or I would choose YouTube because like
0: something more behind the scenes or something like YouTube yeah
2: well it's it's you know, I, if I do YouTube, like, yeah, I'm on for, like, I have to be on for the duration of this video. And, and then I it. can, sh- Yeah, and then I can shut myself down and edit the video and make it look cool and then put it up and, and there you go. When you're streaming, it's like, you know, I used to try to stream just an hour to two hours a night. And even that was exhausting. And yeah. then I had somebody come and tell me, like, I made affiliate on Twitch, so, like, I, I had the ability to get subs and all of this stuff. And then somebody told me, he's like, if you really want to make it, you need to stream four to five hours a day. And I'm like, Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, <laughs> there is no way I could be on for four or five hours a day, like with that level of energy. Like there are people that can do it and bless them. <laughs> they can that they can oh, have God. that level of energy and interaction with people for that long. That
0: is not multiple me. <laughs> times a week too.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like just doing it for an hour to two hours and being on, being that hyper, being that out there was just so exhausting. (laughs) So I can't even imagine the people that do it for eight, 10, 12 hours a day. Like that just sounds hideous to me.
0: (laughs) I know. And I've been thinking about, I've been toying around with the idea of doing a D and D live stream. I mean, forget about thinking of the logistics of how to even set that up. I mean, well, I guess if I'm DMing a D&D live stream, that's a little bit different because I just have to be on mainly for the players. I can qu- sort right. of ignore the chat for that. But even then, it just sounds exhausting, too.
2: Well, and, and I and I did that for a little while. We had RPG yeah. Groupies, which was a, a live stream D&D show that I did. And it, it was exhausting, but it was exhausting in the way that playing a session of D&D is exhausting. Yeah. Because... You know when we when and this is the way that i've seen a lot of people live stream dnd sessions is that you really do kind of have to ignore the chat like the chat's there and they can interact with each other but they are there to watch you guys play dnd so having to interact with your players plus interact with the chat
0: that's too much
2: um yeah. but yeah i mean yeah that was my experience
0: anyway with uh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm also trying to figure out how to learn Roll Twenty as well. God, that's not <laughs> yeah. a very easy program to just like build maps and stuff. And I'm trying and I'm trying to be cheap and free by just using all the free stuff. And right. It's that's a pain in the ass. It's like it's bad enough that I got to come up with a campaign, which by the way I started DMing again. I
2: saw that. Uh, I saw that you're running it at your uh, LGS, right?
0: Yeah, th- so they've been freaking begging me to DM because you know they're trying to start up a D and D scene there, and I so you. I finally started. And here I am thinking, no one's gonna show up, right? Because I felt like the store owner barely advertised it. And then I have five people waiting for me, and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I, w- I was I was honestly kind of expecting to just go there and be like, okay, I may waste an hour here and go back home. And right. all I'm like, nope. I had full fledged five people like two people didn't know how to play so it took us almost two hours to create characters for them and Ooh. um be, well because it was everybody was creating their characters and then i had to approve them and then i had to work with the other people not knowing how to create them and so when we finally went underway we did like a three-hour session and it was a lot of fun um good crazy so and we're hopefully doing it again tomorrow excellent so. So that's pretty cool too. So you have been writing a dungeon master little uh, articles here on the Geeky Torch website, and yes. um, if you can talk a little bit about that. So like the
2: idea, you know, we are all. I'm running this, or I'm not running this website. I'm I'm doing this website uh, with some friends of mine from Team Ponage who we kind of wanted to be able to have an outlet to do our own thing. And so uh, uh Racer Yeo who's a really good friend of mine she came up with the idea of starting uh, her own website and I wanted to jump on board and uh so everybody's kind of got their niche and I'm like well I'm the only one in this group that plays D&D and I've been DMing for 15 20 years how about I write something to help people who want to get into dungeon mastering um because I felt like a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of becoming a dungeon master Mm -hmm. um, because they think that like that's just too much work or I'm not nerdy enough to do that like I don't study rules as much as I should or you know all this stuff and I kind of want to help people realize that you don't have to be Gary Gygax to be a dungeon master like there's there's so many ways to be a dungeon master you don't have to be the rule stickler guy you don't have to be the ultra creative guy even um so i'm writing a series of articles that, uh, they'll come out every other week i'll have a new one nice and it'll just be kind of investigating you know how to get like the first article wrote was about you know what is a dungeon master what are you going to be doing as a dungeon master Um, and then this one I started off with the uh, this last one that I just wrote is what I have in my uh, dungeon master's toolbox you know like what do I actually bring to a session of D&D so that you don't have to feel intimidated by the amount of stuff that's out there because if you go online and search you know D&D equipment or whatever there's a mountain of things to go through and, oh God, and that can yeah. be super intimidating. And I wanted to boil it down to like, here are the things that I say are a must to have. Uh, and then the rest of the stuff you can add or subtract from that later on. But, uh, yeah. So I want to make DMing something that nobody is intimidated to try. Um, cause I really love to play Dungeons and dragons, but I even, even more so than playing, I love to DM. There's just yeah. something about it that I love so much. Uh, and I really love to watch other people play my game.
0: Yes. You know? I, <laughs> I, I think I'm the same way. I love DMing probably more than playing. And I'm like you. I've been DMing forever. Um, that So the campaign I've been playing at um, the store is sort of the similar campaign that you played with me. Okay. So, do you remember um, near the beginning when the one little girl got kidnapped? Yes. But like the, a wagon comes through town. So I've been. I feel like that's sort of a good opener, a good way to like, hey, get the group together, because yeah. n- no one likes seeing a little girl get kidnapped and all that stuff. So unless you you're, never know,
2: man, you got a chaotic evil person. I know. There, I know. Maybe I was maybe just they about to say.
0: Enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> So. <laughs> so we. I had that happen, and. This is what I love about D and D is when your players just completely not mess things up, but just completely do something that you weren't expecting, right? So, so I had the wagon come into town. They were about to kidnap the girl, and one of the players uh, was asking, "Okay, so I want to what was it an athletics roll to see if I can run to the cart in time before it speeds off?" And I'm like, "Okay, roll." They get a nat twenty, and I'm like, "Well, shit." Yeah, you well, now yeah, yeah, now you're, you're jumping yeah.
2: on the cart, man. Have fun. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're definitely there. So, and the guy and the guy, he's playing a um a wizard. I forget I forget what race he is. Um off the top of my head. So, he gets there and he's like, "All right, I'm going to cast magic missile on one of the wheels of the cart." I'm like, "All right, well, you do that and the cart or the wheel breaks off cuz it's just, you know, a crappy wooden cart or whatever." And so, instead of them chasing the wagon through the woods and all that stuff, it's they defeat the guards in town and so I had to not really change the way my campaign starts off it was just it just took a completely different route and I love that I love when stuff like that happens
2: that's when your creative side really gets to come out and and that's that's what I love is you know I've had A a couple of people say, you know, I'd really love to DM, but I don't want to, and I'm creative and I I can think on my feet, but I don't want to write my own campaign. Like that sounds intimidating to me. I'm like, great. Here's what you do. You go buy a campaign and then as your players start playing through it, you said you could think on your feet, change some stuff. Yeah. Like you, you don't have to stick to these books if, if you want to be creative with it, you know, just change some stuff throw some stuff in there make them do something or they might do something that completely surprises you and then you can take the story in another direction and then maybe circle it back around at the end but that is such an important skill as a dm to have i think because otherwise otherwise a campaign just feels on rails and it's really aggravating like as a player oh yeah to me it is so much more aggravating when a campaign feels on wheels or on rails as opposed to oh man we're making this dm think on his feet you know (laughs) like so that is such a a great skill to have is being able to let your players kind of do what they want to do and build the story around them uh, as opposed to making them play the story that you want them to play
0: (laughs) yeah and I've been with DMs like that where it's you feel so railroaded it's not fun Um, and it's that's one of the things I always try to bring to the table is, you know, I've got ideas for what I want to do in the story. You know, like, I, I always write out a pretty decent roadmap for where I'd like for the story to go, but if they say, hey, fuck it, we're not gonna, you know, go save the town, we're instead gonna go hang out with these bears in the wilderness. I'm like, okay, alright, let's... <laughs> Great, yeah, you're hanging out with bears, enjoy. <laughs> yeah, alright, we're gonna go do bear things or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and, you know, like, that's that's why I love writing my own campaigns too. Like I I just started doing that not too long ago. I guess it was three or four years ago as I wrote my first campaign. Um, but just that feeling of being able to see like, here's where I want the story to begin. And I can take you guys through that part. I know where I want the story to end. How you guys get there is completely up to you. I, I will, I will set the world up for you and then you guys fuck with it until you eventually get to the end but I don't really care where you guys go in between here and there you yeah. know? it's, yeah, it's and, a beautiful thing
0: and then they made change the course of your campaign to where the end that you wrote doesn't even matter anymore you're like oh, oh. yeah now I'm like fuck now I gotta come up with you know oh interdimensional beings took over the world <laughs> instead or something I don't know <laughs> you awoke the Elder horror <laughs> yes <and laughs> oh have you taken a look at the Guildsmaster's guide to Ravnica yet no actually I haven't gotten a chance to look at it so I did a review of it on one of my RPG companion podcasts dude you would love that book it perfectly blends magic and D&D together so I mean it's basically a DM's guide to how to run a campaign in Ravnica I gotcha um, I'm actually doing a a D and D live stream podcast um, this coming Tuesday of me a, a Ravnica campaign that I had to build,
2: nice. and
0: the campaign. Um, oh, so I, I can actually tell you a little bit about it because. <laughs> but um, since by the time My this players airs, don't listen to this yeah,
2: podcast, we could. <laughs> well, no, not
0: only that, but by the time I DM, I mean by the time this episode comes out, I've already have done the first episode, so that the campaign is a sort of it. I got the idea based off a of clue. Um okay. so it's sort of like a who done it type campaign. I uh, So I have four players, they're all part of four different guilds. And I sent them all a letter of something that they know or something that's happened to them and they have to meet this person in a warehouse. And so what I'm going to do before I start the show is I'm going to roll a random 1d4 and whoever it and, you know, whatever number it lands on, it's going to be that person's secret is going to be the cause of what's happening in the campaign. So Wicked. It, so it's basically they're going to have to try to find out why these why this secret group is after them and which which of the four people are, you know, which of the four players in it are the guilty ones. apparent you know, apparently. And um and I asked them all not to tell each other what their secrets are. I mean, if they go ahead and tell them in characters what their secrets are, then, you know, oh, well. But <laughs> but the people that are after them, they're going to have to figure out who's after them and whose secret it is they're after and whether they want to sell that player out or something.
2: <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be really cool. That yeah, sounds like wait. a lot of fun. <laughs>
0: yeah so like in the opening in the opener they all meet this warehouse they meet the guy who sent them all the letters and he's gonna indirectly tell them why they're all here and then I'm gonna have a like a group of 15 Azorius mages and Boro soldiers show up and try to chase them off and I really really hope that they aren't dumb enough to try to fight them because they (laughs) are most likely gonna die and then I'm gonna be like oh well the campaign's over now
2: (laughs) roll new characters. Let's go again. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> no, but um it's kind of inspired me to want to write a whole little campaign for that. Like maybe maybe create secrets for one of each guild. Cuz that's the cool thing about um the DM book is you you instead of a normal background, you choose a guild for your background, right. and holy crap, those guild backgrounds are super super OP.
2: Well, and I mean that makes a lot of sense because if you look at it from the context of the guilds in general, like each one is so different um, yeah. and unique. I mean, it, it, the backstories write themselves. I mean, it's it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, what's crazy is so I've kind of banned using guilds in my other campaign because I because to- oh. I told people like, hey, you could be any background, any race, character class, as long as it's been officially printed, except guilds, because all the guilds give all magic casters free spells, like right away. I'm just like, oh hell no, that's a little bit too good.
2: Yeah, that's that's a uh, that's out of control.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's be. fine in the world of Ravnica because you can create monsters that are going to be challenging enough and all that, but right. outside of that, that's a little bit too much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just a little OP, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Man. I'll tell you. I mean, you know, D and D and magic, it, it, they go together so well. I mean, it I've written took them long enough. I mean, it, it, I'm glad they're officially doing it, but like the campaigns that I've written before, like I, the the campaign that I was doing with my previous D and D group that we were live streaming, um, eventually I got them to the point where I basically turned them into planeswalkers. So like like the worlds of magic and the worlds of D and D mesh so well yeah. that it it just feels like this should have happened a long time ago. But <laughs> I'm I'm glad it's happening now. Yeah. But uh. Yeah, everything was there, and I'm glad somebody finally officially put it together. But, I mean, heck, I've been doing Magic Inspired D&D for a long
0: time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, I remember the times I would do, I would DM for, like, 48 hours straight. I mean, well, I mean, not, not straight. It would be more, you know, hey, take naps, eat eat and take breaks and all that but I'd eventually run out of monsters and ideas of what to do so I would just grab like a stack of magic cards and just go through and like uh <laughs> you guys are fighting this this creature right here this guy <laughs> <laughs> and I just come quickly come up with stats and all that stuff and be like all right he, he you're doing this and he's really strong oh uh, one, hey, one of my luck. one of my favorite times is when I made a bunch of fight a fight a bunch of slivers at one point, oh my god, they were fucking OP. <laughs> Ooh, that would have been fun. <laughs> oh my god, yes, Wizards needs to reprint slivers again.
2: Uh, yeah, okay. And remember, remember when they did it before? They reprinted it. In, uh, what set was it where we got the really bad slivers? M4, it was M
0: fourteen and M fifteen.
2: Was it okay?
0: Yeah. And, and they they weren't that OP. They weren't played in standard ever.
2: No, that's what I mean. Like, they were, I mean, by Slivers estimates, they were the bad Slivers. But, um, yeah, I, I – is it just me or does, like, it seem up until pretty recently, like, Wizards has been really hesitant of of Tribal. Like, am I off base there? But it feels oh. like they just don't want Tribal to really be a thing in Constructed.
0: E- yeah well I'm trying to think back the past few standard seasons it's because I mean you could say because I mean you can't really count tokens because that's just all token that's
2: no no like I'm talking when I'm talking uh, tribal like I'm talking about slivers or goblins or elves you know like these decks that we know the deck by the tribe
0: I mean we have merfolk in standard right now but they're not like tier one or anything
2: right I mean they're always there like there are always sets that are printed with tribal synergy mm-hmm. but that always seems like it's geared towards limited like it never feels yeah. like they're they're quite good enough to be constructed playable and or if they are they like slot into a merfolk deck that's you know modern or something like that yeah, I mean,
0: um, you could make the argument you could do goblin tribal right now in standard it's not going to be good
2: Well, you see, and that's what I was going to talk about a second ago was like, you know, when I was playing mono red, it looked like all the pieces were there to be able to play mono red goblins. Like it it just, it looked like we had, yeah, yeah, I mean you could, but it wasn't as good. Yeah. And like, I remember times where like there were tribal decks, like there was a goblins deck, you know, Mm -hmm. like, or elves. And now it, it feels like it's almost there but not quite there's always like one or two pieces missing that would make a good tribal synergistic deck and I yeah. wonder if Wizards, Wizards is purposefully not giving us those pieces because they just don't like tribal anymore for some reason
0: <laughs> probably I mean I don't know I, I'd love to sit and chat with one of the R&D designers oh, and all I, that. I, just pick their brain about stuff like that
2: I would pay good cash money to be able to do that
0: yeah, the um. Oh, have you heard the rumors about the next Magic set, War of the Spark? Mm-mm. All right, all right. So none of this is confirmed true. This is all. So you know how a uh, wizard disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> so you know how wizards recently fired that one company for handling all their um customer service. Yes. So apparently, a disgruntled employee went on Reddit and posted a whole bunch of information about the next set, and then quickly deleted it. Um, the only thing that they Talked about that was so far true was the name of the next set War of the Spark, okay. so that kind of leads some credence as to maybe what they said is a little true. I don't know. I don't okay. Know. So the story of War of the Spark is going to be that Gideon is going to die, and the next set. Oh, um, that's a shame. He kills. He kills. Or he gets killed by protecting Liliana from Nicol Bolas. Mm. Um, and apparently the next set. Even though it's set on Ravnica, it's not going to have the guilds in it. And they are apparently going to be printing uncommon and rare level Planeswalkers. Which, if that's true, that sounds interesting as fuck, but I also kind of hate it at the same time.
2: I really hate it. (laughs) (laughs) My initial reaction to that is just, I really hate that. (laughs) Like, I hate it.
0: (laughs) I mean, the... It would be interesting to see how they would do... Especially uncommon level Planeswalkers. Um, the, I think the post suggested that... Uncommon level Planeswalkers would only have negative abilities. No plus abilities. Which okay. that would make sense. It, it'd sure. be sort of like a weird saga type thing... That it's eventually going to go away. Um, well,
2: and I mean we've had those in the past. Like Sark and the Mad um from way back in the day i think that was uh was that shards i or... think it was no it was rise of the eldrazi um i think i can't remember anyway there was a uh, sarkon the mad was one of the first Sarkin uh dragon speaker planeswalkers and that one had all minus abilities so i mean we've had those in the past that were all minus but i i i don't know they would have to be so weak I, is the problem like it, i i if you printed it at anything other than mythic you'd have to really really nerf the hell out of their power level
0: uh, yeah and we know i mean they're pretty good at nerfing planeswalker power levels just look at the intro decks that they print out now
2: for sure Plan- but even those are mythic status i mean yeah. like if you had like if you had common and un- i mean if you had uncommon and rares like yeah. you i don't know man
0: uh, I, I think some of the abilities could be let's see, let's say a blue uncommon planeswalker. I don't know, one of its neg abilities is oh tap target creature, and that's all it does. Or I don't know, scry one or something like that. You know what I mean? But, right. Um, I don't know. It it sounds interesting. Like I'd be interested if that does come true. Um, I, I just hopefully maybe instead of like. Maybe there's just one uncommon planeswalker per color and one rare planeswalker per color, which you know be more planeswalkers, so to say. But it's also kind of oh dear God no, please no.
2: I just, like and and a lot of people. I know that I'm I'm not, like sometimes I feel like the idea of even planeswalkers in general. Don't get me wrong, I really enjoy planeswalker cards, but they sometimes feel a little unhealthy. Like oh they, yeah they just add... Well, (laughs) I mean, beyond just power level, you know, like, it's something that you know, you have your magic cards, magic cards, and then you have Planeswalkers, and these things are different, but they're not... Like, the whole deal with Planeswalker cards just feels strange, sometimes, I guess. And and if you're gonna print a set that's even more Planeswalker-heavy, like, I don't know, I... uh, I, it, the the whole idea just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like, maybe I'll be surprised if, if this is true, because obviously none of this is confirmed yet. Yeah. But if it is true, maybe eventually I'll warm up to it once I get to see, you know, what this looks like. But, it, 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 like, right now I can't even
0: mu- wrap my brain around that idea. Like, at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I'll be interested to see it, but... You are kind of right in a sense where Planeswalkers, especially in limited, they feel yeah. so strong. It, it always feels like even in sealed or draft, if that one person manages to get a Planeswalker, it's sort of like an I win card.
2: Oh, no. I mean, you can you can ask my wife even like there will be times where I am drafting on moto or arena. If I open a Planeswalker, I'm like, well, this is a five i I'm just going to move on like yeah. if you open a planeswalker that's it unless it's so like Tibalt,
0: and you're like oh dear god no
2: even <laughs> then I've won games with Tybalt <laughs> I'm just saying oh, god, I've no. done it I've won games with tibble. Um, so I mean like I don't know that, that's just going to dilute I feel like that would dilute too much the idea of what wizards has set up what a planeswalker is you know this is something special So special that it's always going to be mythic, even when it's terrible. It's still mythic. So, like, I think that just takes some of the specialness away if you're going to print a set that is super Planeswalker heavy. But, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, Wizards does like to make money, first and foremost. Oh, they
2: always like to make money.
0: So, I mean, it would, even if this is true, I mean... Obviously every new set nowadays since it's a large set does always change standard, but I feel like something like this if true would ex- change standard extremely.
2: I think it would change the face of the game as a whole.
0: I mean, it's like, very honest, possible.
2: I mean, it, it probably wouldn't I think I feel like the planeswalkers if they did this would have to be too weak to really have any effect in like uh, modern or the or legacy or anything like that, but it would change the way that limited is played for sure. Oh, Um, it would probably change standard. I mean,
0: I mean, yeah, it's going to change it regardless, but how much though, that's the pretty dramatically. I would think like just off the
2: top of my head, like I said, without seeing the way that this would work, it's hard for me to get on board with something like that. Yeah. But if I got to see like, okay, this is the way they're going to do it and this is how it's going to work. And, It's not going to be a disaster. Sure. But...
0: yeah. You know, another interesting question I just thought popped up to mind. So, our mana base in standard right now is ridiculously good. We've got all 10 check lands and all 10 shock lands right now. What could they print in War of the Spark to not make it completely ridiculous mana bases right now? Because there always has to be some sort of rare mana printed especially in non core sets
2: I mean the only thing I could think of would be to do like man lands or ability lands you know like something definitely can't do fetch lands that's for no, that's no, 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 sure. no. I mean they could um, finish
0: the cycle um the cycle lands against because they only yeah. printed the what allied colors and Omnicat yeah. they never did the other um the enemy colors they could do that. Yeah,
2: they could do that.
0: That wouldn't be too I, broken, I think. Well, may, maybe you'd make those certain colors. Well, no, because... No. No, because most of the time, it's cycle lanes you only play one or two copies of, at least in the in Amonkhet standard you did.
2: Yeah, And not every deck even wants those anyway. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, you could play them in any, in any deck, and they wouldn't be terrible, but to function at full efficiency, a lot of the decks just didn't care uh, that if they had a cycle land or not. Like it was kind of yeah. nice to have, but at the same time it was like, eh. So, yeah, I, I mean, I could see cycle lands. I would like to see, you know, maybe uh, Oh, shoot. Some kind of ability land I think would be cool. Like mono-colored lands that have an, like kind of like the memorials,
0: but better. But like at yeah. a rare level maybe. Yeah. Like, that would be uh, interesting have we ever seen monocolored rare lands like that that I was trying
2: to think not that I really know of like we've seen colorless ones
0: like like fetchable rare monocolored lands yeah that that'd be interesting to see actually and I don't know red could be I don't know something red like like hey Sack, this deals two damage to something I don't know
2: yeah or, or like uh shoot. I'm trying to remember those we've had ability like monocolored ability lands in the past and usually their abilities are pretty terrible and they never see play but they always felt like if you just tweak this just slightly it would be really really good.
0: Or they don't come in tapped Right. Or or it could be sort of a baby shock land and you pay one life for this to come in untapped You know? Sure, I could see that and it does um, something, I don't know
2: I could see him doing man lands again too because I I feel like not every deck again not every deck would play that uh and if they
0: D- depends if, on depends on which ones they print I mean the ones from Battle for Zendikar they I mean the only good one I can remember was the Hissing Quagmire and the the, the red blue one if if they yeah. reprinted the um the cycle from shit what what set was that from the, the the celestial colonnade. The
2: yeah, I but, can't remember. But what celestial. Set that was, so that
0: but. would make blue white ridiculous, because celestial yeah. colonnades too good.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it would have to be. It would have to be either the battle ones or just like the the
0: bad ones. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Yeah, and it would have to fit in Ravnica too, because. Yeah. It's set on Ravnica. I don't know. That that'd be interesting. I think the cycle lands could work, but does it make sense thematically? Um We've the, never we've never had
2: cycle in Ravnica before, so yeah. I,
0: I I think thematically that probably wouldn't be great. The creature lands wouldn't make sense. I mean no. unless somehow Nicobolus is like, Oh, the land's coming alive now.
2: Huh. <laughs> Suddenly Ravnica is <laughs> Syndicar, I guess. Yeah. I don't know.
0: He, he's <laughs> he's meshing the planes together somehow. Um how what it's or something i kind of like the idea of monocolored rare lands doing something crazy
2: what did we have in return to ravnica there was a set of rare lands that were
0: i mean we uh, just had the shock lands in there unless you're speaking of
2: no i'm talking about back in uh back in return to ravnica so not original Ravnica, but Return to Ravnica. There was the one that was... I mean, there was a set of lands that I don't know if... They, I can't remember if they tapped for colorless, but then they had on-guild abilities. Like, the black-white one gave everything Death Touch and Lifelink. I think it was called Cathedral of something. Cathedral of War or
0: something like that. I'm trying to pull up the card list right now, but Wizards website is so good right now. Yeah, I know it. <laughs>
2: That's why I hate using gatherer to actually search cards, but it's also sadly one of the more efficient ones.
0: I know. Here we go. Here are whoa. Okay, it's Okay, here are the lands. Let me see here what they currently
2: have. there's somebody just screaming into their headphones right now.
0: Probably yeah. okay, so they have the guild gates, the rogues passage, um that the Grove of the Guardian like that, So mm-hmm. that was a rare land where it taps for colorless, but you can pay three green and a white, and you tap two untapped creatures you control, sacrifice Grove of the Guardian, put an 8-8 eight, eight green and white elemental creature token Vigilance on the battlefield. So yeah, I remember these now. But it only looked like there was one in Return to Ravnica.
2: Yeah, uh, unless I... Unless there were
0: others, and, um... Wait,
2: Cathedral wait. of War is a different card, um, but... Gosh, I can't remember... Was it Vault? Of, oh, now I remember what it was. It was Vault of the Archangel. So remember, um, uh, there was a set of lands. Okay, yeah, so this was in. What set was this?
0: Well, no. that's a stage in Gate Crash. I remember that.
2: So I'm thinking of Vault of the Archangel, which is... Vault
0: of the Archangel. And I can't find... Dark Ascension.
2: Dark Ascension, okay. So, like, you see, it tapped for colorless, but then it had an on-color ability.
0: Yeah, oh, Um, okay, yeah, I remember those. Those were all from the Innistrad block. Um, Yeah. Like, Gaviny Township and... Yeah, um,
2: there you go. Those are the ones I was thinking of. Um, That would be kind of cool, because that wouldn't make your land base any better, but it would be kind of guildy too because all of those are on color with the guilds um so something like that would
0: be kind of cool yeah it would be that'd be I can see that being pretty neat um yeah I don't think these cards would make sense in Ravnica but something similar
2: would no no not those specifically um yeah but something kind of similar would be cool
0: yeah, for sure. Something
2: – because then you can make them – because they were already – I think most of them were already on guild color. Like there was a Selesnya one. There was an Orzov one. Um, just color-wise, not ability. Uh, but then you can make the ability way more centric to the guild itself.
0: Yeah. So that would yeah. be kind of cool. And they'd have to print 10 of them. <clears> hmm. <throat> I mean, I guess – I don't know. Well, if they had to print 10 of them, would they want to waste 10 rare slots for that? I don't know. Whatever.
2: Yeah, uh, and you know, it might be that we're just not going to get a rare land set
0: in this next one. Who knows? It would almost make sense if they didn't, because yeah. mana's is just way too good right now. And
2: uh, I, I love the fact that a new set literally just came out, and we're already talking about what the next set could possibly be. <laughs> like, well. This dude, is the life of a magic player right here. Dude, that's
0: the life of everything. You okay, you see the new thing? All right, cool. What's next?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah what's S- next?
0: Sort of like you get the new smartphone, the new iPhone or new Android phone, and you're like, "Cool, I can't wait to see what the next one has." You know, sort of like <laughs>
2: Not me. I wait till the next one's coming out and then I get the previous one. <laughs>
0: it's like, yeah. "Hey,
2: the previous one is now really cheap, so I can afford it."
0: <laughs> I should have done that with the latest iPhone. I ha- I got the newest iPhone because I was due for a new phone anyway. Right. and probably the worst iPhone I've ever had.
2: No kidding.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's the iPhone XS Max. I Yeah. There's so many times a day I just want to destroy the thing cuz it just sucks. What what do you not like about it? Uh the Face ID uh works like doesn't work 4 to 5 times a week, and I know that's such a small amount, but it's very frustrating. Yeah. Um I had so many problems with notifications and just I really don't like the full screen, the full size screen. I've come really? to hate that, actually. Huh? Yeah. Uh, what I what? Do you have an iPhone or Android?
2: I do. No, I have an iPhone, but I have the uh, the eight. I actually went in and bought it like the day that the X came out. I went and got an eight. And I, I wish
0: I got an eight instead of. I
2: love it. I I love the eight because it has everything yeah. except the Face ID.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> I I actually miss Touch ID because especially yeah. like if I wake up and i need to check you know email or something you know oh look it's got to look at my face and it can't recognize my face half the time because i'm you know have my half of my face like covered by a pillow or something
2: yeah see my wife has one of the new ones uh and you know she has face id and all of that and she'll be like oh can you grab my phone and look at something real quick i'm like yeah sure okay, what's your password? Because uh, this is not going to recognize my face.
0: You're definitely not Allie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you have a beard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, but, yeah, that's – um. no, it's – I'm excited about – I mean, I'm excited about the new set, but I'm also not excited because I'm not even excited about Standard right now. Just right. after this weekend seeing so much Bant Nexus and – Ugh, just disgustingness and how mid range and I'm going to, you're still going to be in control. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm going to give it a couple more weeks. I think before I make a full judgment call on this standard on this, uh, standard environment. Um, cause you know, obviously anytime a new set comes out, there's always the deck that's the new hotness. And then hopefully in a healthy format, what happens is in a couple of weeks, somebody figures out the counter to that deck and then we can start building any deck we want. But, you know, so I usually try to wait two or three weeks to see where the meta is really going to settle after release. Um, But I can say, like, I was scanning through the deck lists right now and, like, looking at them, I'm like, there's nothing here I would want (laughs) to play.
0: Yeah, I mean, I see Esper Control would probably be the only thing I'd enjoy playing, but not really at the same time.
2: You know, I played almost this. It feels like almost this exact deck last standard season, and yeah. I did not enjoy it very much. <laughs> like, and yeah. I'm a control. I love control decks.
0: I know what you mean. I know what and you mean. And
2: it's it still just did not feel great to play this deck.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you're only two threats Teferi and Chromium. Yeah, and... and
2: you have one one Chromium. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like, and then you know you do have a better board wipe than Kaya's Wrath, but yeah. um, everything else is kind of the samey. Um, yeah. But, um, oh shoot, what I wanted to ask, oh, what are your thoughts on this whole Magic Arena um, esports thing, esports initiative?
2: So I've always been under the opinion, and this might be an unpopular opinion for a Magic player, um, but I've kind of always been under the opinion that Magic is and a lot of tcgs but magic specifically is not an esport and the reason why i've been saying that is because it's never really had a platform that feels like it was built to become an esport uh and i'll give you an example like if you compare uh watching a magic tournament on twitch to watching hearthstone on twitch Mm -hmm. um like hearthstone feels like an esport because it was built for that like yep. it was built it was built to look good you don't really need to know all the cards to kind of get what's going on um it's all you know it's flashy it looks good uh to be broadcasted and then you watch a magic tournament and it's like i feel like i'm watching poker but i'm even less interested you know like yeah it unless you are like a diehard magic fan and you know what's going on it's it's so boring to watch whereas something like hearthstone even if you have no idea what's going on it's still kind of decently exciting to watch because the game itself is flashier and it feels that way Mm -hmm. so with the release of arena i feel like they've taken a step in the right direction because playing arena feels a lot like playing hearthstone and i haven't played hearthstone in forever because i i hate that game now um
0: <laughs> i haven't is, played it in forever
2: either <laughs> which is sad because i was a huge hearthstone player and, and oh, i know you get, were I, i'm not gonna get into why i hate hearthstone now but i really hate it now um
0: maybe we will get into it
2: <laughs> eventually <laughs> but uh but arena feels like that you know it's more interesting to watch yeah um it is something that could be a spectator friendly platform.
0: Yeah, and it so, definitely looks better than right. Magic Online, obviously. Right.
2: No, and and if you watch Magic Online play, like it's even it feels even duller than watching live magic. I mean it like Moto oh, yeah. was was awful to watch. So I think Arena has given them a good step into becoming an esport. Mm-hmm but I still feel like they're going to have a hard time because magic is such a complex game. It it, it is so, it is necessary for you to be fully invested into it to get any kind of enjoyment out of watching it. I I feel like they're going to have a really hard time marketing this to people that don't play magic. Like I can market, I can market watching the Overwatch League or League of Legends or something like that to other people because the announcers make it exciting, you really don't need to know what's going on, blah 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 but I can't market magic to people that don't play magic. Like there's there's something about it that turns people off unless they're really into it you know? So yeah, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm interested, I, I kind of wonder why like why are they, at the same time I don't because esports are the big new hotness right now, and you know, Wizards loves to make money, so I'm sure they really want to make that esport money, but I don't know. I it feels like a place that Magic doesn't need to go.
0: I mean, I think for Arena to even thrive and survive, it needs it's going to need some sort of esports scene in some shape or fashion.
2: Well, it's going to need a tournament scene for sure. Yeah. I mean moto had that but like do we do we take it in the esport direction where we play it in an arena in front of spectators or do you take it in the direction that moto went which was we use it as a tournament you know as a tournament platform for sure and people can spectate if they want but we don't make it i mean like you had to go into the depths of twitch to find a moto tournament you know yeah so like really did I don't know, man. Like, it, <sighs> Magic just still doesn't feel like an eSport to me, and I'm gonna need them to really prove to me that they can make it exciting for someone who doesn't give a shit about Magic, in order to change that image. And I just don't know if that's gonna happen.
0: <laughs> I mean, already they so they have what the top 32 players of the world that are part yeah. of that Magic Pro League or something. They're all making 75000 a year based off that because they signed some sort of contract for it, and which is cool that they did that, but I don't know if you saw this weekend, um, and it, as of right now, we don't know the whole story of it, but this past weekend that people were wondering how come there's no coverage of GP New Jersey or Magic Fest New Jersey I'm sorry Um Wizards tweeted out saying oh hey we're only going to be doing coverage for Magic Pro League events or Mythic Championship which are now the Pro Tours okay. so like I said I don't know how much of that was just I don't know if that's going to be for every GP or Magic Fest coming up or just for certain of them but that kind of tells you right then and there that Did they just cut out a whole bunch of money to push to put this esports initiative and just say, you know, screw off to the GPs where they're not going to put any kind of coverage, not even text coverage, not even anybody tweeting out what's going on at the GPs. So it's sort of like, what's the point of even going to a GP or or even grinding in them if you're not going to get any kind of coverage? If, say, you, Alec, you want to become, you know, this big name in Magic. Pro, pro sports or whatever or esports, and no one's going to even say hey alec just won gp new jersey are you even going to want to bother showing up
2: i guess that that really depends on what they plan to do with this whole thing because you know the the gp circuit it, it it's almost kind of like the old guard yeah. you know like are are we seeing the death of the gp as we knew it probably because I mean, GPs were invented to filter into the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. Well, the Pro Tour as we know it, as we used to know it, I mean, let's be honest, the Pro Tour as we used to know it no longer exists. Nope. Like, that, that idea is dead. So, I can see them doing away with GPs, honestly. Like, I, I could really see them finding a different way for people to be able to qualify outside of a GP. Like and, yeah. and it's sad it's sad to say that, but you know if if they really want to become an esport, they're going to have to invest a ton into their digital product. So I think Wizards has to make the choice eventually. Are we going to be a paper game or are we going to be a digital game? Cuz living in two worlds has not worked for them. Like no. Moto was not great. It's, in fact, it was pretty awful. <laughs> and then, like, duels was okay, it was fun, but you're never going to play competitively duels of the planeswalkers, you know?
0: Because yeah, it was you couldn't even build real magic decks with that. Cause right. You're limited on, you know, oh, you can only have two rares in this deck. Yeah. You know, that kind of shit.
2: So I think Wizards has to decide what is the future of Magic the Gathering. If it's a esport. I think you'll see a lot less paper stuff. Like, to be honest, like, they, they really have to decide do they want this to be what it's always been, or do we want this to be an esport? Because living in two worlds just doesn't work. You're well, going to have to decide.
0: They could, and you know, a way to fix that is just look at the Pokemon model. Yeah. Put a booster code in every single booster. Yep. That would. You know how many people would start playing more paper? I mean, you know, I will say Magic Arena has already boosted the number of people that have shown up at FNM in my LGS. You know, there have been a lot more new Arena players showing up, um, which is awesome. But I would say you want more, you want more of the enfranchised people in Magic to play Arena? Put booster codes in every single booster pack.
2: And. That would be amazing too, because I still feel like the—I mean—the biggest deterrent originally to playing Moto was that you had to basically pay for two separate collections. Yep. and Arena has taken some of that out, but I still kind of feel that a little bit. Like yeah, I still they have haven't
0: to f- really taken that out. I mean, it's no. still pretty much the same thing.
2: They've taken some of it out because, like, it, it, like now you can't buy singles, no. which eliminates the secondary market sure that's great they put in these kind of wild cards where now like if i open one teferi if i have four mythic wild cards suddenly i have four teferis you know great that's wonderful i still have to pay basically msrp to get a pack of cards so it's like i'm still paying lots and lots of real world money in order to have a decent enough collection to play competitive constructed Mm -hmm. on your platform and, and that's just, that feels, that, that makes me feel sick. Like, I have to choose as a consumer, am I going to play digital magic or am I going to play paper magic? Because I can't afford to play both. <laughs> like, yep. So it's just, like, I think Wizards just has to decide, who are we? Like, what what is this game now?
0: And that's one of the reasons why I love D&D as my second hobby. <laughs> it's so cheap. Yeah. You could. All you really need for D and D is what the player's handbook.
2: Uh, not even that. I mean, because you can get that for free. <laughs> I mean, like there in, are pirates
0: in certain ways. Yes. Yeah, but... in
2: ele- in very illegal ways, you can get that for free. Like, um, you could, I could go. We could go and play D and D right now with pads of paper and pencils. That's yeah, as expensive as D and D can get. But <laughs> le- but
0: let's say you wanted to support wizards, right? and you want to be able to play D&D, all you need is the player's handbook. And yeah. that is as I, cheap as $20 on Amazon right now.
2: I'd say the player's handbook and a Dungeon Master's Guide, just so that you uh, have access. I, oh, magic so have, items,
0: yeah. Yeah, just that, so you have access
2: to some of the stuff that is only in the Dungeon Master's handbook. Like, But even then, you're talking about less than $50 to be ready to go.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause you could get the DM guide for 20 bucks too. So you're looking at 40, yeah. 45 bucks. Exactly. Like. And you, I mean the monster manual, I feel the monster manual is almost more important than the DM guide. If I'd...
2: And I wrote about that in my article uh, that I did for geeky torch where yeah. like I said that the monster manual is something that's awesome to have mm-hmm. just as a resource, but it's definitely not necessary. Like you can you can make up stats for monsters and you can make up monsters on the fly if you're that creative. Um but yeah, it's something that's really, really nice to have but probably not 100% necessary. Yeah. Um but I, I love. I mean, I will never play without a monster manual, just because oh, yeah. I like. I like to throw monsters at my players on the fly. But even then, you're talking about less than seventy dollars for everything that you need to play a session of D&D. Oh,
0: oh yeah, you could play for less than a hundred bucks for yeah. it. Just get all three books.
2: But yeah. magic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. Oh hey, um. So D and D related here. Have you ever played first edition first first edition D and D or advanced D and D?
2: I never have, and it's only because I've never found anyone willing to run a first edition campaign with
0: me. So, I for one of my episodes of RPG Companion, I figured it'd be a fun episode to try to create a first edition character without like reading anything online. Right. Do you know what you can't do with the player's handbook in first edition D&D? create a character yes you cannot create a (laughs) character with the player's handbook in first edition D. &D. Uh, how do you create a character then (laughs) you just you need the dungeon master's guide Ah, which because back in the day the dm was expected to make your character back then The, the only thing the player would really do was roll for stats
2: I see I so see.
0: I, it was very interesting I'm reading through the book I'm trying to read through the player's handbook and I'm like why the? how the fuck do I create like a, a dwarf fighter or some shit like that and I'm like <laughs> I'm not I feel like I'm skipping something I guess I skipped a paragraph that said oh in order to continue creating the character look at page whatever in the DM guide I'm like are you fucking kidding me that's hilarious <laughs> I like, love it oh man so yeah right then and there that just shows you like just how they thought back then It was, um, oh, so frustrating. And it kind of makes me want to play first edition D&D because everything looks so, like, if you don't play a human back in first edition D&D, you're pretty much gimping yourself. Right. And, um how certain races can only get up to like sixth or seventh level and like but humans (laughs) oh humans are the best they can be level 20 and all that stuff you're like well shit
2: it just shows you what what gary Gygax was really thinking when he created that game is like oh no i want everybody to be human yeah no just like yeah i'm the only one that gets to play fun things everybody else has to be
0: human (laughs) and he hated tolkien too oh yeah i know he did yeah, I know it's <laughs> me and Gary differ on that front. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I'm reading, I'm rereading the books again of Lord of the Rings and yeah. you know, this may come as a surprise, um, reading the books again and I haven't read them maybe in like four or five years. It just really goes to show me that the Lord of the Rings movies are so shallow oh Yeah, when, oh yeah. when you actually, and I don't so lord of the rings movies they get the the theme and the tone right from the books but just all the rich history and lore and the way that tolkien describes a lot of things just feels so the movies feel so shallow now now the look of the movies look freaking gorgeous right but there's still i don't know there's still certain it's hard to explain you'll just read certain passages and it just comes alive before your eyes and um you realize, like, oh, the Peter Jackson movies didn't really do that much for me. I mean, just the way freaking Gimli, oh, Gimli the dwarf, right? How he's not the comic relief in the books; he's an actual fully fleshed-out character. <laughs> <laughs> and how Legolas isn't some, you know, skateboarding. Oh, I'm gonna skate down, you know, this shield in Helm's Deep type right. character. Like, oh no, he's an actual real character in the book too. You know, uh, it's it still peeves me off to this day.
2: It just it just goes to show that any time that you make any book into a movie, it's never going to be the same. No, like even even ones that are considered to be amazing and are obviously incredibly successful by Hollywood standards, there's still nothing like the book. Like you 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 can't. I have yet to see an adaptation of book to film where I get the same feeling that I got from reading the book.
0: The Godfather.
2: You know, I never read the book. So I've seen the movie many times, but the, I've never
0: read the actual book. I, I have to say after reading the book and then, you know, seeing the movie five million times, the movie is better than the book. Well, look at that.
2: Yeah. I, I, I have been <clears> shut <throat> down.
0: Yeah, no, but the, the book is still definitely worth reading. But there's certain characters in the book that have no bearing to the movie and they just go on and on for chapters about them. and You're like. This is boring as shit. Give me back to Michael Corleone and Vito and all that. Um, they really dig deep into Johnny Fontaine, the singer, and um, the one chick that Sonny had an affair with.
2: Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's,
0: it's <laughs> fucking weird. Um, but yeah, that, that's been the only time the movie has ever been better than the book. But yeah, just going reading through Lord of the Rings, man, it's just... You... It's I can understand that I know Tolkien was very Christian. He was very religious, and he didn't want to make his story an analogy. But you can almost feel the very allegory or allegory. That's right. Sorry. Um. And you can really feel the religious undertones of the story. Reading through it again, and how you know Frodo was destined to destroy the ring, and it was his fate and destiny to destroy the ring. Oh no, that and you can feel that from the book from the movie I don't feel that too much I don't really feel the and I can understand them not wanting to do religious undertones because hey we want to be able to make this mass market appeal but I almost kind of miss that from the movies as I'm reading through the books here you know sort of like hey the Valar and Eru are they're not exactly helping out Middle Earth here but they're in a way they are you know, they're not just completely forgotten. And Gandalf is more of an otherworldly being than just some grumpy old wizard. Right. You know, you, you kind of miss that from the movies there. It, I think it,
2: a lot of it stems from the fact that uh, a movie is produced to be um, mass. Uh, it's it's meant. Uh, movies are meant to make money. Yeah. I mean let's be let's be perfectly honest. And if they are not uh, able to appeal to a mass audience. They will not make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will not win awards and they will not be successful. So how dare you <laughs> when you're adapt, <laughs> Yeah. But so when you're adapting, uh, especially a novel like Lord of the Rings, that is so detailed and so in depth and, uh, you know, Tolkien put everything about, you know, the, everything from himself into these novels. Um, that's something that will never translate well to screen. I know. So, the way that Peter Jackson did it, I, I still look at the the films, and I'm I, I still really enjoy the films for what they oh, are. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But you have I I feel like I have to do this myself too. Like I have to separate myself from the uh, from the source material sometimes, because otherwise I'll just hate everything and 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 i still have problems
0: with the movies to this day (laughs)
2: allison complains all the time that i am the worst person to watch movies with if i'm a fan of the source material because i just complain the whole time and i've had to really check myself on like i've got to take a step back and realize films are made to be something that the original source material was not unless it's like totally blatant yeah like i i there are some that I just absolutely cannot excuse but yeah it's taking that step back and realizing okay they had to make it this way in order to be mass appealing to an audience that isn't me and isn't a huge fan of the source material and gosh it it hurts my head to be able to have to do that sometimes
0: but like the Hobbit movies oh god no I don't even want to talk about the Hobbit (laughs) movies (laughs) I, I just watched like a two hour video essay last night about the Hobbit movies and oh my god they actually interviewed one of the actors who was the dwarf and um, he said something that really kind of struck with me he's saying during the beginning of the shoot during the movie um, they were you know it felt like the the whole cast or the production crew was really focusing on all the dwarves in the beginning of the, the shoot and towards movies two and three, you could tell they were moving away from all the dwarves and focusing on what Killy, Philly and Thorin and no one right. else. And that, and that makes sense as you're watching the movies, because, you know, what Killy has that stupid love triangle with the made up yeah. elf, which uh, is. Uh, uh, mm. Yeah. And then um, all the other dwarves kind of get shafted. Even Bilbo gets shafted and he's supposed to be the main character of the story. Yeah. And then we have Battle of Five Armies, which, oh, God. Um, I. Those fucking movies. And it, it's funny because he was going on about, and that they were even showing interviews of some of the cast and crew that I've never even watched because I didn't even bother watching any of the appendices of The Hobbit because the movies were just so bad. That Peter Jackson had no pre production time for those movies and yeah. they were basically making shit up every day. On just how to oh, yeah. formulate the story and plot.
2: Well, and you can you can tell the difference, uh, because I mean, Lord of the Rings was like a, what, 12-year project? Something like when, that. When he made those, and a lot of that was pre-shoot.
0: Yeah, he had like, three years of pre-production time.
2: Yeah. So you can definitely tell the difference. And there are parts of the Hobbit movies that I really enjoy. Um, like, but a lot of the stuff that I enjoy is very filmy stuff Mm -hmm. you know like I really enjoy the performances of certain actors not I have to really take a step back from films like that and be like okay this is not what I loved about the source material this is what I have to look at it from the perspective of like what's good about this as a film no, <laughs> not, not, not much.
0: Not much. The 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 scene with Gollum and Riddles of the Dark, that was amazing. I yeah. love that part.
2: And I and I liked uh uh Benedict Cumber Dragon as well.
0: So <laughs> Yeah, I liked I liked the whole Bilbo and Smaug um deal and then the dwarves fighting off smog and him getting covered in gold and not even being harmed and then fucking uh, Yeah. <laughs>
2: We don't need to go into that, and how and how
0: dwarves and hobbits are completely resistant to fire, and
2: yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't need to go into that.
0: (laughs) But anyways, I don't even how we even got to that point, but uh, D and D and magic, and oh, it's three years, three years with magic with Zuby. Um, You know, I was looking back at the beginning of this podcast when I first started this. What was it? Um Oath of the Gate Watch had just come out. Yep. Do you right. remember what standard deck you were playing in Oath of the Gate Watch if you were playing standard?
2: Nope.
0: <laughs> I think I was playing some form of red green ramp with like try to do turn five Ulamog. I gotta even try to remember shoot, what was I playing?
2: I was playing it wasn't it wasn't ramp. Uh oh oh!
0: There was even four color um collected company. <laughs>
2: that's what I was playing. I was about to say that I remember exactly what I was playing. That I was stupid playing...
0: deck where it was like I was five million triggers. Stupid...
2: Yeah, I was playing that stupid drain deck that had the uh oh the cutthroat. What was it? Yeah,
0: Zulaport uh, cutthroat. That's the one. And it had what baby Jace and um
2: uh. It played I played just a bunch of sacrifice uh, outlets. I yeah. can't remember Nantuku Husk, I think, was one yeah, of the sacrifice Husk. outlets.
0: Well you also had baby Jays for card draw and yep. um and then you had all the fetch lands, all the dual lands. Yeah. Um, and then you also played oh, what was it? Uh, March of the Ancients or something where you return
2: X amount no, or uh it was. It, it was
0: return all the creature cards from your graveyard back to the battlefield or some shit for a turn and exile them at the end of turn. So then you just Something, sack them all. You know what you know what yeah. I'm talking about, right?
2: It was March of the Ancestors, I think, is what it was.
0: M- maybe but, uh, that, maybe that's it.
2: It was return, uh, return X number of creatures to the battlefield where X is the number of creatures that died this turn. So oh. you would like Coco. You would Coco and get a bunch of stuff out onto the battlefield. Then you would sacrifice it all, bring it all back, sacrifice yep. it all again, bring it all back, sacrifice it. It's like yeah. six million cutthroat triggers.
0: There so you many die. triggers, too. Yeah. <laughs> there was, um, I played that deck a lot, too, and I ended up having to take it apart because it's like there were too many triggers to remember. Like, I yeah. try to play that at M, like, trying not to fall asleep because I'm like, oh, fuck, there's too many triggers. So that's when I decided to play Ramp. And I'm like, uh, turn five Ulamog, you're you're dead.
2: <laughs> I, re- I remember that I kept playing that deck just for the sole reason that it pissed off everybody in my store that I was playing that deck. And yeah. that, for some reason, brought me so much joy.
0: Yeah. So- <laughs> and then Shadows of Vrnestrog came out and we had Bant Company forever.
2: Yep. Bant Company for days. <laughs>
0: yeah, I definitely don't miss those days because that's all I played too was Bank Company. Oh, Reflector yeah. Mage. Oh, Spell Queller. Oh, um, whatever the hell else it played. Oh, Gideon, Gideon too. Oh my yeah. God, Gideon Ally of Zendikar was so. I hated that Planeswalker. Even playing it, <laughs> I'm like, this is so broken. Sometimes. Yeah, it it's too good.
2: That that whole, there are certain instances of. My standard, or my my life with magic that I can point to and being like, that standard season was terrible. Yeah. And right up near the top of the list was the Bant Collected Company season, and um, Cobblade back in the day. Yeah. That was way back in the day. But um, I always point to those two and be like, those were the two worst standard seasons that I could ever remember.
0: <laughs> yeah, because. I'd say the worst standard season that I could think of just recently that I can remember um, was when Battle for Zendikar came out because that pretty much killed my LGS scene. Because oh really, for you know the four color company and then mm-hmm. Jeskai Black, um, yeah. And then the price of standard decks were astronomical at that point too. they were reaching a thousand dollars, and that that killed my scene. Everybody people loved Theros and Khans and then Theros and Return to Ravnica and and Innistrad and Return to Ravnica and saw so much play and then Battle for Zendikar effectively killed Magic the Gathering in my area.
2: That is a shame.
0: And it sucks. I mean, I, I feel like it's never fully recovered since then too. I don't know and I, I still always feel a twinge of hate whenever I look at Battle for Zendikar. I'm like, you killed Magic for me, for the most part. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's still kind of alive and kicking, but I feel like it's on. All Magic needs is just one more bad set, and it's gonna kill Magic in my area for good.
2: It, it's it's always kind of teetered on that. I I feel like a, a lot of because I mean, you and I both live in kind of eh, kind of smallish towns. Yeah. You know, there it, it's always there's always that edge of like how expensive does it have to get before everybody just drops off and doesn't play anymore Yeah, you know and it's there's always that line and it's always toe in that
0: line you know <laughs> but yeah because we even had a decent legacy scene that's completely dead uh popper died um yeah. modern in my area is like it's on life so I wouldn't say life support but it's pretty close pretty close yeah. to being on life support and it's like Shit, our, our limited scene we used to have limited every single week and that's completely gone now too there's no if I want to go play play draft somewhere a booster draft I have to travel probably like one to two hours away from here like go down yeah, to Brandon or something I'm like I'm not driving to Brandon all the way from here <laughs> that's too far you know Ugh, god it sucks man it's like and that's and that's why I'm kind of glad for Magic Arena because it's you know, made things come alive a little bit, but I don't. Uh, how how long is that going to last, though? You know.
2: It, it, I think it really depends on how much Wizards is willing to invest into that product. I mean, if they let it be its own thing, like MTGO was, uh, it's going to die. I mean, it, it it really honestly is going to die. So, how much are they willing to invest into it? How much do they want that to be the future of Magic going forward? Um, I think once we get answers to those questions, you'll you'll see uh, changes and improvements to Arena uh, to make it, yeah. you know, the de facto Magic experience. Um, which honestly, I don't think would be too bad if they did, but it, it would be a shame because there is something special about playing paper Magic, but. You know, if they decided to take it in that direction, like I don't think it would be murder for the game. Yeah, but it would certainly. um, I don't know. There is there is just something special about playing paper magic.
0: Oh yeah, there is because it's the interaction, that face to face interaction. It's sad because this past Monday when I was at D and D, uh, DMing, um, obviously we had in the store, you know where me and the players were playing and it's usually supposed to be Monday night magic where there's a modern scene and it used to be very healthy no one showed up and instead we had Dragon Ball super players showing up the card the Dragon Ball super card game which is actually pretty fun by the way I I played a few games of it it's kind of like Pokemon in a sense it plays very similar to Pokemon um not that I want to invest money in it but it's it's a Fun, it's a little fun game but we had drag, we had more people for Dragon Ball and D&D than Magic and you say that you know a couple of years ago that'd be unheard of wow and you know Friday night when I was last at FNM we had a decent amount of people for Magic cuz it was pre-release mm-hmm. and uh, but we had so many X-Wing is like taking off in my area right now the Star Wars yeah. X-Wing game have yeah. you ever played that before
2: I haven't but uh, I know a lot of people that do. It's also very big uh, around my town. Um, that and Warhammer. Warhammer has yeah, really taken off. That, that's taken off tip.
0: too. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, hey, I'm glad to see other games like that take off because, you know, for a game sort of only rely on magic, that's big trouble. Anyways, but yeah. you know, I mean, my area hasn't had much luck with LGSs lately. It's been, it's been kind of bad. But
2: well, and you know shocking for the size of my town because my town is pretty small but we have a lot of game stores and we had one store in particular that was only magic yeah um and that one did not last unfortunately but the game stores that are diverse in what they do seems to last longer and probably the biggest one here in town um they run f&m but he has started running f&m as commander because um, he was like hey this is something that none of the other game stores do they always run standard or modern so mm-hmm. I'm going to run commander um, and uh, that's actually a, a heck of a lot of fun
0: but <laughs> yeah I've never tried commander as FNM I mean I don't have a place in the area to play it really hell even right. my commander scene is dying man we used to be so big in commander here that's yeah. like there's a few people that play it now but I don't know that's <laughs> feel like feel like it's on life support Alec I'm worried
2: (laughs) well and a lot of it honestly is just the cost I mean there are yeah there are times in people's life when they can invest in something like that um but as things change in your life circumstance like you can't afford to keep up with stuff like that anymore I know um uh, unless it's your job you know so (sighs) I think uh, especially in an area that is not as affluent or maybe doesn't have as many um, younger players or players that have been playing forever and just have cards because they have cards, Mm -hmm. like it's really hard for a place like that to really get going. So, you know, it is kind of the death of paper magic in in these smaller areas just because it is so prohibitively expensive to play at that level, <laughs> yeah,
0: it is, it is, and plus with, I mean, it even makes me more worried now that they pretty much effectively killed PPTQs. Yeah, um, I mean, there's still the Star City IQs, but those are getting less and less. Um,
2: now those are you have dying. To tra- yeah. Travel
0: farther for that, but I don't know, man. It I'm kind of worried about the future of paper magic. I mean, I know I know it's still going to be around for a long sure. time, but.
2: It it makes too much money to not exist. Yeah, but the, I think Wizards is showing their hand in the sense that they would prefer if the de facto magic scene became digital. I I, th- I honestly believe that Wizards wants the de facto magic experience to be a digital one just because that's the way that everything is moving now that is the direction that everything is moving in so it would not surprise me if their goal was to make the de facto experience a digital one and the paper one just became kind of like something you can still do but they're not going to support it with a pro scene they're not going to make it you know their full investment anymore
0: yeah I don't know man I guess we'll just have to wait and see that's all we can do. I know, man. Well, I guess on that note, I have to let you go. <laughs> it's um getting a little late for me here.
2: I I totally get you. I mean this <laughs> this always happens when you and I talk. We wind I up. it's like hey we're gonna do a short pocket. No, two hours later. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. I know. But um I want to thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um yeah we got to talk about D and D some more and maybe even do a game or something.
2: I'm always down for that, man. Yeah, just, you know it.
0: We need to talk about availability and all that.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> that's harder than it was. Oh, I know, <laughs> but, I know.
0: I know, but thank you again for coming. on Where can people find you?
2: So you can follow me on Twitter at AlecTheDirtle. I'm there. Uh, you can check out the articles that I'm writing at geekytorch.com. Uh, I write there. You'll see articles posted. Uh, we update twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Sundays and on Wednesdays is when new stuff goes up, and I try to have at least a couple pieces up every week. Um, and the other the other place you can find me is that I will be doing some more stuff on YouTube uh, with Team Ponage doing their YouTube channel. I'm actually managing that for them now, so you'll see nice. new content going up there, uh, as well as my own personal channel. Uh, there'll be content going up there as well. So that's where you can find me if you're interested in hearing more of my Random ravings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you again, man, for coming on. All right.
2: Always a pleasure, man. Anytime. I'm always, I'm always grateful to come on and defend my title as longest running guest host. Well, yeah, you're the,
0: <laughs> I think the only other person uh, is probably what Matt from England who's only been on twice. So yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah take you're you're take definitely Matt way from ahead. England. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're definitely ahead. But no, thanks again, man, for coming on.
2: My pleasure, man. You have a good night.
0: You too.